The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de church people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Good morning, and welcome to Highlands on a morning that we begin a new series entitled Love Is. Now, if you've been in a store this week, just about any store, you've probably come across a red and pink explosion. Uh, Maybe cards, flowers, other sorts of gifts, stuffed animals, candy. It all signs that Valentine's Day is upon us. Now, for those people in the throes of a new romance, Valentine's Day just serves as a reminder of how wonderful everything is. Uh, how, how romantic he is, how it's just so great to be with her. But now for other people, Valentine's Day is a day that just makes them want to gag. <laughs> Which category do you fall into this year? On Valentine's Day, we celebrate love. But if Love is, it's all, if all you experience about love is what you see on Valentine's Day, then you are going to be getting a very skewed picture, picture of what love is all about. Love is not always bunnies and flowers, is it? Real love is not always easy, which is why today's message is called Love is Countercultural. We live in a culture that appears to be love-saturated. Love is on just about every song on the radio. It's in every movie and every TV show. But real love is hard to come by. So today we're going to look at one of the most famous writings about love the world has ever known. It's a beautiful and poetic passage that often gets read at weddings, so it's likely that you've heard it before. Uh, This passage is going to teach us what real love is. And by the way, real love is not just limited to romantic relationships. So whether you have a valentine or not, there is something to be learned from this passage because real love can impact every relationship in our lives. The passage today that I was talking about, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as we read this passage, I want you to think about one or two people in your life that you have a hard time loving and see if there is something in these words today that God wants you to hear. So let's read this together, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. 
This is God's word for us today. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful passage about love. Lord, while we acknowledge the beauty of the passage, we also recognize that it is a hard one to live by. So Lord, help us. We need your spirit. We need you to guide us. Help us to get exactly what you want us to hear from today's passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to take a look at the context that this passage comes from in order for us to really understand just how countercultural love is. 1 Corinthians is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul in the first century to a church in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was located, and still is today actually, on the Isthmus uh, in southern Greece. And you can see there uh, its location. It, it served between two important seaports. And so it had this really important place. And it was a, a culture that was eclectic. It was a mixture of people from all over the world. The people traveled between Italy and Asia and came through there. It was Corinth in this time was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And with this mixture of cultures happening within the city, it was a very progressive uh, place to be. It wasn't unlike the Western world is today, a, a place where traditions of, of long gone past were downplayed. It was a place where universals were de-emphasized. It was a culture that celebrated the personality of the individual above just about everything else. And so since personality was so important, it was not uncommon in Corinth to hear things like public boasting and self-promotion. It was a culture that valued self-sufficiency. And Paul wrote to a church within this city, the city of Corinth, a church that he had established during an 18-month stay in the city. And sometime after Paul left the city, they sent word to him that there were some, some things that they were debating about in the church, and they wanted his input to help to settle some of those debates. And so in this particular section of the letter, we read chapter 13, but really from chapter 12 through chapter 14, Paul is answering a question that they had proposed to him. And it was essentially, if you really get down to it, what the question was all about is, who's the best? They were debating about spiritual gifts in the church. The gift of speaking in tongues, when God's spirit comes upon people and they can speak in this new language. And, and some people said, that's got to be the best gift. Others said, prophecy, that's, that's the best gift. Can you see how the culture of Corinth was finding its way into the church, where they were all about self-promotion and saying, hey, I'm the best. No, I'm the best, and fighting over that. Well, Paul effectively looks at this question, and he completely changes the focus. If you read through this whole section, you see in chapter 12, he tells them that spiritual gifts, they're given for the common good. They're not given to decide who's the best or who's the most spiritual. And then he talks about how we are all part of one body and we should be united and serve together and everybody has a role to play. And then you get to the end of that chapter and he says, and I'm going to show you a better way. And that way is love. And that is the context in which 1 Corinthians 13 is given to us. Paul says there's something way more important 
than your petty debates about who is best, and it's love. And so he says, if I speak in the tongues of human and of angels, these things they were debating about, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Perhaps you've encountered this in the church before. We, we as Christians can do this. We can be really good at uh, looking spiritual, but being love deficient. I once came across a, a contemporary paraphrase of that verse, and it says this. If I talk a lot about God and the Bible and the church, but fail to ask about your needs and then help you, I'm simply making a lot of empty religious noise. If we're to be the church, then we need to learn to love other people. Not ooey-gooey, self-gratifying love, but love that's self-giving and counter to the cultural type of love that we experience. So let's explore that kind of love, this, this love that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, a love that goes against cultural norms. Let's see what it has to say. First, it emphasizes that love is other-centered. In a world that teaches us to look out for ourselves first and foremost above every, anything else, the passage speaks of a love that is not self-seeking, a love that is kind in all of its actions, a love that is not rude and does not envy what other people have, but rejoices with them and rejoices with things that are right and true and good. Tim Keller, a pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, tells a story of, of, of a sermon he once told entitled, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. And during the sermon, he, he says this, I think God is saying that I want you to meet the needs of other people with all of the joy, all of the eagerness, all of the urgency, all of the ingenuity, creativity, and industry with which you meet your own needs. That's the standard. After he gave this sermon at the end of, of the service, a, a young teenage girl came up to him and said, now I was in the homecoming pageant at my school last weekend, and I came in last. And my friend, she won and was crowned homecoming queen, and, and everybody celebrated her. And she said, do you mean to tell me that I should be just as happy for her as I would be for myself if I had won the homecoming crown? And Keller responded to her, you know, that is a great application of the message. I wish I'd put that in my sermon. And the girl responded, Christianity is ridiculous. Who lives like that? Do you know who lives like that? People who have encountered the love of God and understand God's love for them and how it is always seeking the best for them. And then they seek to share that love with others. The best definition of love I've ever come across was by a man named Brad Henning, who was a frequent speaker to, to youth in the community I used to live in in the state of Washington. And Brad Henning would say, love is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it is not physical intimacy, Love is choosing the highest good for the other person. Love is choosing the highest good 
for the other person. Give yourself an assessment right now and think about this. When it comes to love, are you more interested in what you're getting out of it or what you're giving to the other? Are you more interested in your own highest good or the highest good of the other person? True love is other-focused. It's one of the reasons it's so countercultural. Here's another reason that love is countercultural. It's enduring. It's beautiful what Paul writes about love. He says, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is a kind of love that's hard to fathom in a world where we see love end all of the time. But it's the kind of love that God wants for us. He wants us to show it to others, and it's the kind of love that he gives to us as well. And when the passage says that love bears all things, do you know what it literally means? It means that it endures annoyances and difficulties. How are you doing dealing with annoyances in your life? Do you have somebody with any annoying traits around you? Do you have a spouse that leaves toenail clippings in the bed? Or that uses a dinner fork as a back scratcher? Do you have anybody in your life that doesn't understand your need for personal space and they get about eight inches from your nose when they speak to you? Always right after eating onions. Does your love endure annoyance? Let me remind you that God, his love endures your annoying habits and traits. Even those ones that that you hide from everybody else. God knows them. And God's love endures annoyances. It endures hardship. It endures even when youthful attraction is gone. And when illness has raised its ugly head. God's love endures It waits patiently, and it asks us to wait patiently in a world that says, I want it now. God's love is slow to anger, and it invites us to be slow to anger. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. In other words, I shouldn't be bringing up that thing you did 10 years ago that was so hurtful to me, but choose forgiveness instead. Love isn't easy, is it? And here's a third way that love is countercultural. It's humble. Earlier, I talked about the Corinthian culture and how uh, bragging and self-promotion were just a part of that culture at that time. It's still a part of our culture today, isn't it? Oh, sometimes we do it in a much more subtle way. Uh, Some have become masters of the humble brag, Do you know the humble brag? It's when you want to let everybody know how awesome you are, but you don't want to sound too arrogant in sharing about it. Here are some humble brags that people have actually posted on Twitter. I'm frustrated that I didn't improve my max bench press today. Hashtag stuck at 250. (laughs) Poor guy. Ugh, just ate about 15 pieces of chocolate. Got to learn to control myself when flying first class. Or, 
they'll cancel my modeling contract. <laughs> followed by an LOL. Um, <clears throat> then this, this one, just stepped on gum. Who spits gum on the red carpet? A humble brag is a great way to express false humility. (laughs) Love isn't interested in false humility. Love is interested in the real thing. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is not motivated by pride. It doesn't praise itself exceedingly, and it doesn't puff up its own ego. Love is more interested in the well-being of others than it is in making itself look good. Did you hear that? Love is more interested in the well-being of others than it is in making itself look good. Think about it. Do you ever try to make yourself look good at the expense of somebody else? I know I certainly have in my life. It seems that we have a lot to learn about love. This month, as our culture celebrates love, Let us celebrate this counter-cultural love, a love that is other-centered, a love that endures through times of hardship and trials and pain, and a love that is humble. Who in your life could use that kind of love right now? I want you to bow your heads and to think about that for just a moment as I head down to this table. Now looking up, I want to remind you that the kind of love that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about is the exact kind of love that God has for you. It's a love that is always seeking your highest good. It's a love that endures regardless of what you've done. It's a love that's humble. So humble that Jesus Christ came to earth in human form. And he didn't just live on this earth and teach us and heal, but he also went to a cross for our sins. His body was broken and his blood was poured out so that we could be made pure before God, pure and holy. And so when we have communion, we are reminded of that gift, that sacrifice. It continually reminds us that we are utterly reliant on the body and blood of Christ in order to be made right with God. For it was on the night that he was betrayed that our Lord took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Please bow and pray with me. Lord, I don't think we've even scratched the surface in understanding your love for us. A love that would go to the lengths that it did on the cross. Lord, as we gather together around this bread and this cup, 
Help us to remember your body and your blood broken and shed for us. Lord, we pray that you would set these elements apart from a common to a holy purpose, that we might feast together and feast with you, remember what you've done, and worship you more than just a a simple few songs on a Sunday morning, but a lifestyle of worship, responding to your goodness and your love by loving those around us. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.